Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the uh, Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and acknowledge that this land was stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist with recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Um, My guest today is a compulsive gambler who's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, I'd like to welcome Andrew to the show. Hi, Andrew. G'day, Bill. Andrew, good to have you back on the show. I guess you know that the format, we talk about growing up, the things that influenced you, how you got into gambling, where gambling took you, why you sought recovery, how recovery's worked for you, and your life at present. So would you like to start talking about growing up and early life and the early influences? So yeah, I, I grew up in the eastern suburbs with uh, my mum, my brother and my dad to start off with, and then when I was four years old, my dad and mum got divorced, and it was just me, my brother and my mum, and then um, sort of, I don't remember too much about my childhood, but I know sort of around when I was nine years old my brother got kicked out of home because of things that were going on at home um sort of a part of it was there was a bit of abuse abuse going on between me and my brother and mum couldn't handle my brother's they think autistic and mum couldn't handle that so he got removed out of the house and went and stayed with my dad and auntie and then got shuffled around a bit but also because of that Mum was still spending, trying to spend time with him, so I got a bit neglected, I guess, I guess, a little bit as well. But then, yeah, I sort of, I don't know, I did have some friends and stuff when I was growing up as well. Like, we had a, a pretty good street that we lived on. We used to play a lot of sport in the street, cricket, tennis. We even painted a tennis court on the street, funnily enough. <laughs> yeah, um, as kids do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still there now, even 20 years later, funnily enough. Mum actually told us it wouldn't last long, but I proved her wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, childhood was, my childhood was pretty, I don't know, nowadays I would say it was pretty crap, but at the same time it did have its good parts as well. And then, yeah, sort of growing up, I never had a lot of friends when I got into high school so much. In primary school I was sort of all right, but, yeah, high school sort of didn't really fit in with that many people and sort of left high school pretty early because I didn't I hated school hated it is there any reason for that did you looking back um I'm not much of a learner or I am a learner but like I like learning more physically rather than sitting in a classroom having someone tell me how to do something like stick something in front of me that I can do with my hands and I'll do it and pick it up pretty quick where if you're telling me and I'm having to write and stuff like that I find it really boring and my mind wanders off really really easily even even now so, like, even now, I'm still that kind of learner. Like, with work, when I started my first... Or when I started the job that I do now, you know, someone if someone gave me written instructions on how to do it, I'd stuff it up really well. But if you sort of gave me a step-to-step instruction why I'm actually doing it, yeah. then I'd do it really well. So, yeah, yeah just didn't like, like it. Got yeah. bored really easily and decided I wanted to work instead. Yeah. So what did that mean for you then, working? Um, yeah, making money, I guess, and yeah, being a bit more responsible. I left, I left school when I was, I think I was about 16, and then I went and did TAFE for a little bit, and then got a job as a, a I don't know if you'd call it a door-to-door salesman, but I was selling home cleaning systems and doing an in-home demonstration and basically showing off this glorified vacuum cleaner that, like, you know, almost, that sucks the absolute crap out of everything in the carpet and does a beautiful job of it. And that sort of boosted my confidence a bit, so I guess, like, um, brought me out my shell because I was always a nervous kid. 
And then when I did that, I became a bit more confident in myself and, yeah, sort of... A bit of, more of a salesperson. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And I, lo- I actually loved that job, but it was really, really, really bad money because it was all commission-based, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all your time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you're still at home, obviously, at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was at home. I think I... It was sort of a... I don't know if I would call it kicked out of home, but me and my parents were really, really argumentative. Mum was very, um, in one way, tried to rule with an iron fist and did certain things that even to this day I still think were pretty stupid, I guess. And then I was very angry, I guess. So I couldn't wait to get out of there, so I ended up leaving and going living with my brother. Yeah. And then I sort of moved around a bit because I didn't get along with my brother too well and things happened there. And, like, part of that was due to the gambling stuff as well because I started gambling when I was 18. So, but also part of it was, um, yeah, just, I guess, me and my brother have have very strong opinions about certain things. So, you know, things happen and, yeah. So I moved around a lot. I I moved, I think I lived with my brother for a bit and then I moved in with a friend for a bit and then I moved with a mate and then left there and lived with my brother again and then moved out of there and lived with a mate again and, yeah. Quite disrupted, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. So do you want to talk about your introduction to gambling then? What what do you think led you to start gambling? Um, I can actually tell you exactly what it was. I went, so my 18th birthday, I had one of my old bosses come and he gave me 10 bucks. And I walked up to this machine and I remember sticking the money in playing whatever it was. I can't actually remember the bet amount or anything like that, but I remember putting the money in, pushing the button a couple of times. I got some free spins and I won 140 bucks. That was my introduction to the pokies and it's sort of, the, the fact that I can remember that it was 15 years ago is yeah. pretty, yeah, I think sort of substantial because, like, I can't even tell you what some of my most recent wins are, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's sort of, yeah, I think it was, I got a really good rush from that. And then shortly after that, I also went in as well and I put a little bit of money in and got a really big win out of that. And that sort of sealed the deal for me, I think, with my addiction thing. Like, it just, yeah. I sort of felt, sort of came up with this idea that this was going to be a way of making money and that I wouldn't have to work hard for it. And then it started tapping into other parts of my brain and, yeah. So, initially, it was the attraction to, to winning. Yep. But where, where did gambling go? Did you... Obviously, you you can't keep on winning. So, what's what's the ongoing attraction for you to keep sitting there? I feel like it's a bit of a blocker. So, you know, if I'm having if I'm having a bad day, or not even if I'm having a bad day, like I feel like sometimes I I get depression and anxiety and stuff like that. So, I use gambling as a way to treat that, I guess. So, you know, like I've spoken to people about it before. Like my gambling wasn't about amounts of money or anything like that it was all based around time and the longer i could spend gambling the better i felt about it so you know like i wouldn't be i'd, I'd, I'd say set myself a limit for an example of six hundred dollars and if i went into a venue and i blew my six hundred dollars in half an hour i'd be really really unhappy i'd walk out and i'd feel like majorly depressed and i just feel like there was no gain out of that where if i went in with that four hundred dollars say for an example and I was there for eight, nine hours, I'd walk out feeling somewhat satisfied. So, yeah. So, like, for me, my gambling was about um, numbing the senses and feeling basically as numb as I possibly could when I walked out. Yeah. So, usually when we're numbing the senses, we're numbing our numbing our thoughts or our memories or stuff. So, what were you trying to numb? Yeah, thoughts, I guess. Yeah, thoughts and, yeah, just... Because of the depression, I think it was just one of those things that, yeah, so if I could make it so all my depression was, like, numbed and was down to a good level, then I'd feel like I'm at a good level. So, yeah, I guess it was a bit of that. But also, I've, like, I've heard people talk about um, when you're gambling, every time you get, like, a near miss or a, or a win and stuff like that, yeah. you get a dopamine rush. Okay. 
and I used to love that dopamine rush too, and that would be something that I would try and chase, and that's, I think, why the more dopamine I could sit in there and gain that dopamine over a long period of time, then that's what was actually making me feel better, not me. No, not the gambling, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, yeah. yeah. So, like, chasing that dopamine, like, it's funny, like, I look back at my gambling, and I look back at when I'm in a venue and I'm watching somebody else win a large amount of money and that there's, there's no response to it and all that kind of stuff. I never got like that. Yeah. Like if I had a substantial win, I'd be the, the dude standing up on his chair almost like, you know, <laughs> celebrating and stuff Maybe. like that because that dopamine for me was just like, yeah, I can imagine like, I mean, I've never been a drug user, but I can imagine like doing a line of cocaine and getting that rush from that, that that's me standing on the seat going, yeah, I've just won all this money. Look at all you poor people in the venue sort of thing. Cause yeah. that's what it felt like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's what I chased a lot. Yeah. So when did gambling start to become a problem? Almost straight away. Yeah. I think, um, so when I was about 18, 19, I had my, probably my first serious relationship and one day I was only working at Macca's at the time, so I was only, you know, maybe earning about five, six hundred dollars a week if I was lucky. And I blew two hundred and forty dollars in one session and I remember walking out feeling like absolute crap and then my partner at the time just being abusive and not happy the fact that I lost all this money and um realising then pretty much from then I, I felt like I had a problem but that I could control it because you know it's gambling yeah, yeah. it's addiction yeah yeah it's the disease it's uh, yeah yeah and i guess that's the nature of the thing is the fact that you you can't control it it's controlling you mm. and it's this thing of trying to control something that's uncontrollable yeah right yeah. so how long did you gamble before you sought help um probably i can't remember the exact time frame but i reckon i would have been about 20 so it probably been about two years before i got okay. into so I, I go to ga and it was yep. probably yeah two years before i got into ga and i think when i first got in I, I i did want to stop in one way but in another way i didn't because i was just too young i was too young to understand what the whole concept of gambles anonymous was what so you know in in one of the steps it talks about how we're powerless over gambling and how it makes our lives unmanageable and for me, I had no idea what that meant. I just thought, you know, I'm a gambling addict and that's what it is. But it's it's so much deeper than that. Like, um, yeah, so I've lost my train of thought. Well, but... I, I guess it's about a lot of people, you know, gamblers talk about how much how much they've lost, you know, losing a marriage and a house and a, all that sort of stuff. And you hadn't lost anything yet. No. no. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah, so that's, sorry, that was what, what, what I was getting at. So... When I first got into GR, I was living at home. I was living with my parents, mm. and you know, I, all I lost was money. I didn't lose any serious relation. Or well, I'd lost one serious relationship, but not a very serious relationship. I hadn't lost a house. I hadn't lost any kids or anything like that. And most of my friends were still my friends because they yeah, they were still at that that eight point age point where they were still doing the same sorts of things because you mm. know like some sometimes when you're younger you just do stupid things and it's not an actual di- an addiction it's just something just, that you do yeah where for me it was an addiction from a, from the pretty much the first time I ever gambled yeah so so did you gamble with friends at first yes yeah how Here, soon did that drop off pretty quickly pretty quickly yeah so i remember um again when i was working at maccas and and like don't get me wrong i i i enjoyed it when i was working at maccas so i i would finish work on a wednesday i'd get paid on a wednesday and the first thing i would be doing would be going to the pub wednesday night and i'd get absolutely pissed and i'd go to the pub and be there from Oh, let's say seven o'clock till two o'clock in the morning and I'd stumble home after blowing all my money and go to sleep for a couple of hours, wake up and go to work the next day. So, and that was probably, yeah, a good six to 12 months of doing that. Right. Pretty full on and hard. So were your parents concerned? Yeah, of course they were. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't tell me, could they? Because it's like, you know, the addiction and I was, uh, I guess... I felt like it was just because I was young. So, yeah, but 
I so think, you justified it because that's what everybody does. Yeah. That's yeah. Because yeah, I'm young, you know, yeah. like it's just something that I'm doing because I'm young and I'm just having fun and yep. I yeah. can cope. Yep. But then when when you when you move out of home and you're like, well, when I moved out of home and I kept going, my drinking stopped and yep. you know I used to smoke a bit of marijuana as well and when that stopped, I could stop doing those two things. But my gambling was still there and it was still just pushing in and pushing in hard. Then I started realising that, yeah, okay, maybe this is a problem. And yeah. So what was your first um, attempt to get help? Um, I went to a GA meeting in Box Hill. Yep. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah, Box Hill. Sort of just did that once a week. And sort of just shared and was very brief with my shares and just, yeah, I think like, like I was saying before, I just didn't get the program. It was sort of just a thing that I did to, I think at that point it was a, a thing that I did to please other people, not to actually help myself because family were going, oh, you've got this problem. My partner was going, oh, you've got this problem. And I was just going, oh, well, if it'll shut you up and stop you from being on my back, then maybe I'll just try and fix it and I'll go to this room and... You something will happen. Yeah, talk crap and maybe I'll just stop. But it wasn't there. Yeah, I wasn't doing it for myself. Yep. Um, so how effective was that? It wasn't. Because yeah. I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing the program. I was just there. And there's a difference between doing a program or, or doing the program and being present in the room rather than being... In the room, but not being present in the room, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah. like, you know, it's sort of like I can be sitting on the side and not actually listening and not taking anything in. So I'm still there, but I'm not actually present. I'm not there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it makes a big difference if you uh, start to take it seriously, that's for sure. Okay, well, so we might take a short break. Um, I've got a song, and this one's a song courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. And it's by Abigail Fierce, and it's called I Just Want to Feel Okay Again. Seems like an avalanche 
Did you know that Ripponlea Estate is recognised as a leading biodiversity hotspot within the city of Glenara? It is a haven for birds and other wildlife. Ripponlea Estate is now running bird spotting tours, providing an opportunity for the community to explore the beautiful 14 acres of gardens with a volunteer guide searching out the diverse family of birds that call Ripponlea home. Please visit ripponleaestate.com.au to view tour times and to book your tour. The National Trust of Australia is a 3CR supporter. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Um, if you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. Uh, you can also contact us via phone or email. Uh, today we're talking with Andrew and we're talking about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so Andrew, before the break, you talked about uh, getting into GIA, but you really didn't take it seriously. So do you want to talk about what happened after that? Like, were you able to um, stop gambling or was it difficult? So it's been, a, it's been a huge up and down ride. So I have been able to stop without GIA before, though... I would say, like, so when I when I did stop, I had a I had a big goal in mind. I wanted to buy a, a second-hand car and pay for it in cash. So I managed to do that, and it took me about six months. And as soon as I bought the car, there was an excuse to gamble again. So it was sort of, you know, I, I call it the abstaining asshole. So the thing the thing I found when I did do that in that period, my mind still wasn't settled. So I was still dealing with all the, the, the craziness and the, the crap that goes on, that was going on in my head at that time. So I didn't need much of a reason to go back to it. So as soon as I had a reason and had an opportunity, I was straight back onto it and it was straight back into full-blown active addiction again. So one of the things our book in our, in our meetings talks about is how it's a progressive illness as well. So... One of the things that I found for myself was it didn't go back to how I would want to go back to gambling if I was to say tomorrow, if I was to decide, no, I'm not going to do these meetings anymore. Yeah. And, you know, going back and maybe putting in $50 a week or $50 a month and being done with that, it was, that might last a couple of days, yeah. So yeah. it was straight back into it, full blown, blowing all my money, blowing all my paycheck and just being obsessed with it again. So. Mm-hmm. And so, Andrew, I was just going to say, when you bought that car with the cash, did you almost think of that as like a finish line in your head for beating the addiction? Not quite, but yeah, somewhat. Yeah, I guess in terms of, you know, being consistent with your recovery and whatnot, you thought, I guess you might have thought, I've got the car, I've achieved that goal, I've put the work in, and now I'm in a different state of mind. 
Yeah, and then maybe I can control it too. So maybe, maybe things are different now. Maybe in this last six months, something in my brain has changed where I can go in and, and gamble like, you know, someone who isn't a compulsive gambler does. When then And then, I mean, you pretty quickly realise when you start achieving recovery that it is your mind will tell you and spin you whatever BS that it can to tell you that I can gamble normally when it can't. So... <clears throat> Given that you had got back into gambling again, so how did your life change then? You know, I'm gonna say you had a, a brief period when you were not gambling. You had a period when you bought your car, you weren't gambling. Yep. But then getting back into gambling, how did that change your life and the and the way you related to others? It just made everything crap again. Just you know, those old those old feelings come up again. You start yeah, you start feeling like your self worth is nothing. Um. You're not achieving anything. Like I'm just sitting in one position, and I like you know, it's it's the like money's a part of it. Your mental health is a, is probably my biggest part. My mental health never got better when I was in active addiction. Never felt better about myself. Or if I did, it would be like for a super brief period, and then it would go straight back down. And that's where I think um. You know, the the progressive illness thing comes into it because, like, right at the end of last time I've stopped, um, you know, I, I ended up in a psych ward because my head was just that cooked that I didn't feel like there was any other way out. Yeah. So <clears throat> do you want to talk about how you got to that situation? Um, yeah, so with work, I'd... Um, I'd taken some time off to go see my doctor to talk to my doctor about my mental, my deteriorating mental health. And um, so I thought I had to pay for my last session because it's all done over the phone, which I had paid for it. So I got my partner to transfer me money for that session and went to pay for it. And she goes, no, you've already paid for it. So I had money in my bank account and I was going past a venue that I knew I could go into. So I went into that venue I gambled, I walked out and felt like, because like going back to what I was saying before, I hadn't been there long enough, so I didn't feel like I'd gotten my medicine. So I managed to get some more money out of my, squeeze more money out of my partner and gambled that. And again, wasn't there for very long. So I still hadn't had my medicine. So I went home and grabbed some things and took it to Cashies and sold it. And then again went in and blew it really quickly and then walked out just completely cooked like i was pretty i felt like i was pretty done I felt like i was pretty defeated and just started thinking i started thinking about taking my own life started planning it and i'd never gotten to a point where i'd yeah started fantasizing about how i could do this how i could take my own life so i went okay well maybe this is the point where i need to i guess reach out for help and get into somewhere and um ended up in the psych ward that night yeah so how did you get help what what was your path i i rang i think it's eastern health or something like that and they got me into a, a thing called the papu unit which yeah, in hindsight looking back at it it was probably it would have been really good if i stayed but I, the, a circumstance happened when i was in there where i got threatened and i left pretty quick so but um yeah, that was and, and even that was a pretty traumatic event to be honest. But yeah, yeah. um made me realise that I don't want to end up in that position again though. So And um after not gambling for a while and then returning to the gambling after you bought your car and experiencing some of those feelings and those negative emotions, how did you kind of deal with those thoughts after experiencing them? Because this is a place that you'd been in before mentally. I don't get what you mean. I'm sorry. My oh, friend. no, that's okay. Um, so did you kind of ignore those thoughts or how did you react differently to them? You know, you kind of hide from them and it's, it's a, it's a never ending cycle. So like sometimes, you know, you might feel like crap because you've been gambling. So I know what the solution to that is, is to go and gamble some more and try and spend as much time gambling as possible. So for me, I wasn't just about gambling on the pokies. I was gambling on my phone. I was playing slot games and stuff like that not necessarily ones that I had to pay for, but still doing the same amount of damage in reality because it was just more time that I was spending on that and more time and more time. For me, the money, I care about the money, don't get me wrong, I definitely care about the money, but what I care about more is my mental health and the time that I've lost. Yeah. Like. So did you actually chase your losses or not? 
Or wasn't that an issue for you? I sort of did, but sort of didn't. Yeah. It's uh, chasing my losses, of course I did that, but it wasn't the most important thing for me. It was yeah, wanting to spend that time, as much time as possible gambling, because it just made me feel better. And we were um, talking a little bit um, on the break about the dopamine hit you get from playing something like the pokies. How did that differ between the pokies to the slot machines uh, that you were playing on your phone and other kind of gambling mechanisms? There was definitely nothing better than the real thing. But playing and being able to play it whenever I, I could and how long, however long I could was probably just something to fill in the gaps, I guess, um... It wasn't like it wasn't like, you know, getting the dopamine from the real thing, but it was still, yeah, giving me a little bit of something. So a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing, is why I saw it. Yeah, yeah. And then like especially during COVID, um, because all the all everything shut down during COVID, and these these so these games I could actually buy coins, um, through Play Store and stuff like that. I was doing that as well. Like I spent, I think I see, I was um. One day I went through all my finances. It was something like over ten grand I'd spent on fake currency to play those things. Like, mm. you know. That's how they kind of trap you, though. That pay to win. You know, you can keep putting money into the game yeah, whenever yeah. you want. Craziness. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you seek any other help? Um, yeah. So I've gone through. So as well as GR, I also see a a um a counselor through Gambler's Help. Um, what I've learnt with Gambler's Help. They are great, um, or they can be great. Depends on who who you get, and also I think what way you want to get what you want to get out of it. Yeah. So what I've learned is um, I go to Gamblers Anonymous for my gambling addiction, and I go to Gamblers Help for my other problems. So I've been diagnosed with um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So for me, when I go and see my counselor, that's what I see my counselor about is to deal with like you know everyday problems that i need to deal with where ga is basically all my gambling stuff goes there so because i'm with like-minded people in ga where with someone to me and this might not necessarily be the facts but this is how it feels and this is the way i want to play it if i go and say gambling cancelled they've never had a gambling addiction or if they have then they've dealt with it a different way so what works for me might not work for somebody else and going to GA works for me so and what was it like receiving that diagnosis for your stress disorder not surprising (laughs) I guess um coming leading up to it I felt like for a long time that I've had some form of mental health issue because like since I can remember I've had mental health issues not 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 drastic mental health issues but somewhat mental health issues so um yeah not surprising yeah really yeah gave me it it was good because it was clarification and it was an answer to why some of what's going on in my head is going on in my head so a bit of closure as well Mm, a bit of clarification because i guess you know i guess you get into a place in your mind where you almost get into a thought cycle of what's going on you know you can get trapped in those thought loops of confusion and stuff like that yeah yeah. and knowing how to deal with the situation because you know what's going on in your head is false Mm. Or possibly false. Yep. Okay, well, listen, we might take another short break. Uh, I've got another new release, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Uh, it's called uh, Wings of Wood and Fire. It's the title track off an album, and it's by William Pitt. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Floating fish, I must have drowned. The sea keeps getting higher. Smiling puppet mouth says, Singing songbook for the denier. Last block of silence just got sold to the mad mechanical choir. They will tell you, sticks and stones don't care. Prove them all a liar. Fly to your windowsill On wings 
not-for-profit organization providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family, and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation, and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. G'day, this is Jacob from Friday Rave. If the week's politics have left you wondering whether it's you or the rest of the planet that's gone completely and utterly bonkers, join us at 5 o'clock each and every Friday for a Friday Rave here on 3CR, where we'll do our best to reassure you that it is actually you, and us. A Friday Rave, bringing the 5 o'clock drinks debrief to you, here on Community Radio 3CR. This is The Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And today we're talking with Andrew uh, about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so, Andrew, before the show, we were talking about how Gamblers Help sort of helped you in, in counselling about your mental health and GA helped you with your actual gambling addiction. So do you want to talk about... Um, being in GA and the point when you started taking your recovery seriously? I wouldn't say I've never taken it 
well, when I was younger, I didn't take it seriously. But like last couple of years, I have taken it a little bit more seriously. But I think realizing how serious I'm taking it now is a difference as well. So, um, yeah, a few years back, I was on the radio show, and I had over six months up off the off gambling. Where this time, I'm four months into not gambling at the moment, and I think this time round, coming to the realization that. So one of our, st- the first step in our recovery is admitting that we're powerless over gambling and it makes our lives unmanageable. And even last time I, I spoke with you, Bill, on, on the last show, I didn't realise what that actually meant and what that actually means for me now is that what gambling does to me is it controls what I do. It controls my actions, my thoughts and all that kind of thing. So And everything based around that. So my life right now is based around not gambling where when I'm in active addiction, my ba- my life is based around gambling. And the difference between those two are huge. So, mm. um, like, one of, the, one of the other things the program's helped me with is quitting vaping as well, because I realised what vaping was doing to my mental health as well. So having something that is unhealthy for you, you're controlling what your thoughts and actions are, is just is awful. Like, I don't want to be controlled by something that's going to take up my time destroy my relationship and basically have no physical or mental health benefits for me so what's your relationship like with vaping at the moment i don't vape anymore don't vape what have you replaced it with nothing don't need it it's been i think five weeks i've been off it and that was my main reason someone said to me oh well why did you why did you want to quit vaping well i said to him well it's not the money couldn't give a crap about the money because vaping's quite cheap um it's not about my physical health because physically i feel all right and i just don't feel like it's doing me that much harm for me it was about what it was doing to me mentally so and it was it was the same sort of not as bad as gambling but same sort of path as what gambling was doing so you know like you'd be out for dinner or something like that and you'd be half an hour into sitting down chatting to everybody and all of a sudden that nicotine addiction starts kicking in and telling you, you need to go outside and have some nicotine. You need it. And that's exactly what my gambling was doing. And I hated that. I hated being controlled by that. And I hated same as gambling. So like I'd go out for dinner one night and we'd be at a pub that has pokies in it. And I'd be sitting there and... I'd be, I'd be there, but I wouldn't be present because all my brain is doing is telling me, you want to go into that room and gamble. You want to go... And, like, yeah, just not interested in being like that. So you're in your head, pretty much, instead of being in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, being, being in the moment and being present is much more important to me. So, so how has it affected your relationships? Just stopping gambling and stopping vaping and th- stuff like that? I think people respect me more. Um, one of the first things I noticed, so I've gotten into golf, um, and one of my friends who plays golf, we didn't hang around for a long time. And I think that was partly to do with the gambling because a lot of my time was done around that and being able to reconnect with people, um, being able to spend time with my partner as well. So, like, you know, because when I was gambling, all I'd be doing, I'd be sitting on my phone playing slot games on my phone and I wouldn't really be in the room. Physically, I'd be in the room, but mentally I'm not. Um, Being able to communicate better with people as well, not being angry all the time. Yeah. It's a huge difference. So what about the honesty thing? Did did you have an honesty deficit with people that you worked with or lived with? Somewhat. Because of your gambling, somewhat. So how did you re? I like I I go to I go to meetings and I hear people say you know they're closet gamblers and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't a closet gambler. Everyone knew I was a gambler, like everybody. And I like I thought I was good at hiding it. Some points, no, I was never good at hiding it. And especially with my partner, I could never lie to my partner. I always told my partner what was going on and all that kind of stuff. There would be times where I would gamble first and then still spill the beans because i just couldn't lie um how did you feel about everyone knowing that you were gambling i don't know never thought about it to be honest um i mean yeah just i guess i guess for me now looking back at it I, I, i'm more thinking like you know 
I knew people hated it, but yeah, didn't really care at the time. Yeah, it's not. It's your problem. Yeah, it's yeah. your life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, can you also talk about the difficulty? Did you or did you find difficulty coming back into GA after you had a break? And started gambling. First two times I did, but then you pretty quickly realise that everyone in those in those rooms, they are probably the best people to be around when you're in a scenario like I'm or I have been in and 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 am currently in. Like, especially the long term members, the long term members are, are are the sort of people that won't judge you because like yeah they've been there before or they haven't been there before and they know because they're in the program that the worst thing you can do is judge somebody. Um, yeah. one of, I've heard one of the members say that, like, unless you've been through the exact same thing as they've been through yeah. and have the exact same brain function as that person, then how can you make a comment? Because mm. you're not them and you haven't lived through what they have lived through. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and they, It's all about judgment, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, like... Yeah. And I, even I've had to learn to start changing my judgment because I used to go into meetings and think to myself, oh, you know, oh, he's busted again. Like, oh, my. Mm. Like, how can you bust that many times? And now I think to myself, I've got to stop doing that. Like, mm. I'm being judgmental. And that actually affects my my um, recovery as well because I'm going, well, why am I concerned about what he's doing? <laughs> Instead of being concerned about what he's doing, why don't I start worrying about what I'm doing and how I'm going to not gamble today? Like, yeah. I do feel like it's a natural thing to have those kinds of thoughts and whatnot, but like you said, it doesn't help you. No. And like, you know, empathy is such an important part of the recovery process, I guess. That's right, yeah. Um, and so did you feel did you feel quite isolated when your gambling was, you know, at its peak? Absolutely. Yeah, and then you found a sense of community through GA? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, what, so what like you, you walk in and like you'll hear somebody share and I've heard it, I've heard it like, heaps of time someone will share something and then the very next person goes oh, i thought that person was talking about me when they were sharing <laughs> and it's like yeah i've done that before you know like i hear someone sharing some of the things that they've done in the past and all that kind of stuff and i'm like thinking to myself i've done that before i've done that before and when i first went into ga when i was 18 19 years old and hearing some of the things that people were sharing back then i hadn't done anything yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden 10 years later i'm i get back into the program and all of those things that people were saying, I've now done. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, okay, I am in the right place, aren't I? Like, yeah. I could have avoided it, but I didn't. So yeah, yeah. yeah. that's life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you want to talk about uh, the importance of um, service or giving back in GIA? Um, yeah. So like one of the things I decided that I wanted to change this time round was being part of. Um, being in, more involved in service and stuff like that. So um, once I had my 90 days up, I started chairing meetings as well. And I've actually found that really helpful for my recovery because when I'm chairing a meeting, I'm I'm the person right at the front that everybody's watching from the moment the meeting starts. And I'm the one giving, I guess, a directive of how this meeting's going to run. Um, for me, not only that, but also being up the front I don't know, it's it's a different vibe being in the meetings. Um, because I'm hearing more and I'm in control of the meeting, I'm, I'm taking in more of what everybody's saying. Yeah. And I'm also writing stuff down in the book. Yeah. Like, you know, um, and I find that really helpful as you well. You learn a lot, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like, it's a fantastic program, G.A. I just, yeah. I can't fault it. I used to. <laughs> you know, the, the addiction tells you a whole lot of BS that, is literally bs like oh you know like the gambling in ga they tell us that the reason why we gamble isn't necessarily important it can be for some of us it can't be for some of us most think that was crap but now i go well maybe it isn't important like yeah it's a diversion yeah right yeah um so going back to, to i guess to relationships um Everybody who's got an addiction affects other people. So, did you, you know, could you see an impact of your addiction on the people around you, the people you work with, the people you live with, your family? Especially my partner. My yeah. partner would be the probably the, the biggest one. Um, you know, I just, I, I would be absolutely awful to him on sometimes, like, you know, I'd, I'd call him names and I'd be abusive. 
um and then yeah a lot of the anger stuff as well so even at work um when i'm when i'm out of control i'm just not a nice person to be around um yeah not paying attention to people friends family and all that kind of stuff because all i was thinking about was placing my next bet and yeah so like like i was saying before being present so you know i know that's going to upset people because like you know they want to have a good conversation with you want to know how you're going and if i'm turning around and i'm in active addiction i'm always miserable so i'm not going to and i'm honest so i'm not going to turn around and go yeah i'm fantastic i just lost five grand last week and you know i'm struggling to pay all my bills and i'm going to lose my car soon and so i'm honest so i turn around and tell them that and all of a sudden they're in a crap mood because i'm doing crap and so on and so forth where if i'm not gambling it's much better because i can turn around and go yeah i'm not gambling life's going great i'm playing golf i'm doing this and going on a holiday and yeah mm. and um what about the gambling do you think made you most angry being out of control and losing money both but yeah mainly being out of control and not feeling like i can i'm not controlling my emotions i'm not controlling my thoughts and stuff mm. Because you're someone that I guess feels like you've got to be in control in those yeah, situations. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So like when I when I quit, um, when I quit gambling, I had an argument with one of my supervisors over something, and I lost it at him. I gave him every excuse to sack me, and then afterwards I thought about it, and I was I was obnoxious and I, I went up to him and i go look i want to apologize to you i'm coming off I, I literally said to him i was straight out with him i said to him i'm coming off 15 year gambling addiction and i don't know how to control my emotions at the moment so i'm sorry but i'll try not to for that to happen again and what i've noticed that was within the first 30 days and as i'm as every day goes on my emotions are just getting better and better and better and like you know something like that might happen now and i won't lose it and I guess that relates to being in control. Like, do you yeah. feel like you're more and more in control? Yeah, because I've got emotions. control over my emotions. Something will happen now. I'm not going to fly off the handle because, yeah, my head's a lot calmer and I'm able to think before I do something, not just react mm. straight away. Like impulse control, I yeah. guess. You know, when, you, when you're gambling, it's like you're acting without even thinking. And that relates out of the gambling into real life yeah, as well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Gambles Anonymous, you can phone them in Victoria on 0396966108 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information on recovery and on, from compulsive gambling. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Andrew for sharing his gambling recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous and Gamblers Help helped in his recovery. Thank you. No worries. Sir. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we will be talking with James and Jonathan from Galliamble about recovery from the impact of drugs and alcoholism. Uh, coming up next, we have Balamoir, The Spirit of Wire, hosted by Uncle Telgum Choco Edwards. Um, join Uncle Choco in The Spirit of Wire on a journey of belonging and movement through singalongs and yarns, and he's got a pre-record loaded here, so I'll put that on shortly. Um, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And just take us take us out. We've got the title track off her new album, and here's a song called "Graced by Leaves" by Simone Keane. Inside my
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.